Welcome to The Social Contract, a new podcast created by the author George S. Corey and the artist Cleo. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Social Contract Podcast. I'm actor, writer, producer Tavia Gilbert, and I'll be your host for this and every episode. The Social Contract Podcast is for political junkies who might have forgotten just how fun and often comical politics and Washington's political figures can be. The podcast was created as a companion piece of sorts to George's first book, Presidential Conversations, which was inspired by and features original illustrations by the artist Cleo, who you'll meet in another episode. And Cleo's work will accompany all of our podcast episodes. A side note, you can find Presidential Conversations wherever you find your books and audiobooks. We'll put links in the show notes. You don't need to be familiar with the book to thoroughly enjoy the Social Contract podcast. A lot of what you'll hear on the podcast will be fictional, satirical send-ups of the hot-button political issues of the day. But sometimes we'll get a little more serious, because we take our name from something we on the creative team all take very seriously, the Social Contract. What is the Social Contract? It's the idea that citizens in a society will work together, collaborate, and cooperate for everyone's social benefit. What a quaint idea, right? Or taking it back to PoliSci 101, if you Google the social contract, you'll read that it's a political theory that originated during the Age of Enlightenment, or the 17th and 18th centuries, that deals with the legitimacy of the state's authority over collective individuals. Think we the people. Now, I want to introduce you soon to George, but first, I'll share that in keeping with the tone of George's evocative book, Presidential Conversations, at the heart of every episode of this podcast is a fictional story. Each story will be thought-provoking, they'll usually be satirical, and they're voiced by the incredible Broadway performer Stephen DeRosa, with cameos from other audio all-stars, including the amazing Robin Miles, and yours truly. Everyone who has had a hand in bringing you the social contract hopes that this podcast will not only delight and entertain, but that it will encourage civil discourse around some of the most pressing civic issues of the day. Civility and civics in the same breath. Yeah, we actually think those two belong together. Imagine that. All that said... We're not a political podcast per se, although we will be touching on some timely topics, from the Supreme Court to COVID to voting rights. Our first featured story is called The Capitol Speaks. It was written by George in the aftermath of January 6th. As an attorney and author who has called DC home for decades, George's writing is deeply affecting because the piece is really a heartfelt tribute to the Capitol building itself. Let's listen. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the peaceful resolution of conflict. Ronald Wilson Reagan, 40th President of the United States. It was love at first sight. I first saw the Capitol lit at nighttime in the spring of 1985, driving into the district from National Airport for law school interviews. It did not take long for me to realize that I was home. Washington, D.C. was where I wanted to live and work. 
That first visit was spent with a Hill staffer who lived in a group house with other staffers on Capitol Hill in view of the Capitol. My wife's experience is mirrored mine. She lived in Alexandria, Virginia before law school and was equally determined to live and work in D.C. When we returned as first and second year law students for summer clerkships, we lived in view of the Capitol. When we graduated from law school, most of our chill time was spent in the neighborhoods surrounding the Capitol. We picnicked on the Capitol lawn for Independence Day, anticipating fireworks and the thunderous firing of the live cannons for the 1812 overture. We took in Memorial Day and Labor Day concerts to mark the beginning and end of each summer in the sweltering DC humidity. We took pride in taking friends and family visiting from the Midwest on tours of the Capitol and loved jogging up and down the brutal hill itself, which, by the way, is exactly one mile if you do the hard loop of the entire Capitol grounds. As young lawyers, we could each see the Capitol from our office buildings. Then, as more seasoned lawyers, that was the view each of us had from our respective office windows, a view that has never ceased to fill with inspiration and wonder. We knew when we moved to D.C., that the Capitol was a powerful symbol the world over. And after 30 years of living and working under the watchful gaze of the Capitol Dome, we have come to understand, deep in how we define our love for this country, that the Capitol represents democracy. That is why it embodies America as the shining city on the hill. It welcomes anyone who has something to say. It stands up and stands out as the world watches. In recent years, as board members of civic organizations, we've spent time inside the Capitol, had lunch meetings in the Senate dining room and coffee with staff in the congressional cafeteria, discussing the work and needs of our nonprofits. We've gotten to know staff at the architect of the Capitol, the organization charged with stewarding the landmark buildings and grounds of the Capitol complex and have heard from them some of the most fascinating stories about the architectural oddities of the Capitol building. Our most memorable Capitol experience was in the summer of 2006, being taken on a true behind-the-scenes tour of the Dome, almost unchanged since it was completed in 1865. We remember being struck by how President Lincoln insisted on its rebuilding despite the ongoing civil war and considerable pushback as the symbol that best represented the Union. We felt transported as we experienced the rotunda, the ceiling fresco, the 300 almost vertical steps through the iron-cast spaces between the two shells of the Capitol Dome. Up, up, up to the Tholos pedestal, where stands the Statue of Freedom and the most remarkable view of the city from its geographical and political center. This kind of tour is only permitted if accompanied by a member of Congress. And we spent the tour with Mike Honda, then the representative of California's 15th District. It was his first tour of the Dome, and he was as awestruck as we were. Climbing the steps between the shells of the 9,000-pound cast-iron outer dome and inner dome, making our way around the narrow walkway inside the upper dome, gazing in awe at the Constantino Brumidi canopy fresco a monumental painting called The Apotheosis of Washington, and ending on the uppermost turret encircling the 20-foot-tall, 
Bronze Statue of Freedom, where we took in the remarkable 360-degree view of the four quadrants comprising the district. It was as if the capital was standing at the center of the nation's ley lines. The grandeur of the edifice made a deeply personal mark on our souls that has remained ever since. What I love about The Capitol Speaks so far is that George's storytelling really takes us there. And I so appreciate the veneration in his writing. It's clear that the Capitol building itself is a sacred space that he obviously loves and deeply respects. We're going to talk to George in just a little bit, but first I want to introduce someone who understands better than most that buildings like the Capitol actually have a soul. Meet Eileen Fuchs. She's the new president and executive director of the National Building Museum in Washington, D.C. Congratulations on your recent appointment. I would love to hear a little bit about your work, this new position, and how the museum's mission relates to developing an appreciation for the capital. So let's jump right in. Yes, well, thank you so much for your congratulations. My family and I relocated here from New York over the summer, not something I expected to be doing, um, but when the call came for this, I was so compelled and drawn to the National Building Museum and its mission and its relevance it has. We're in this moment in our world and in our country where we're attempting to get over a public health crisis. We're in an ongoing crisis of social and racial inequity, and we're in a climate crisis. And the building industries have such a huge role to play in how we really can attack any of those issues. And I think all of those things come together to make more people care more than ever about how their world around them is designed and built. And for me, it was such an incredible calling to come here. So I was really excited to come here. But the Building Museum itself was founded by Congress in 1980 to be our nation's museum of the building arts. And our mission has evolved. You know, they were the center for national conversation around architecture, design, urban planning, construction, and deeply in there is historic preservation and adaptive reuse. And so the majestic, historic, iconic buildings of our great nation's capital collectively, you know, tell a powerful story and signal something about our values of democracy and civic duty and, and progressive growth. So at the Building Museum, we educate and engage people about the built environment and its impact on their lives and their communities. You know, so we, we give visitors the tools and the context and the perspective to look around the built world, to look around the capital, to look around their community and ask why things were built the way they were, why it matters, and, you know, what kind of agency and role you had to affect how that world is designed and built moving forward. Hmm, that's fascinating. I've been to D.C. several times, but the first time was when I was about 15. And the architecture and the presence, the feeling of the buildings is unlike anything other than I have experienced at Arches National Park with that ancient history. It feels palpably the same. Absolutely. You know, I, I think we help visitors to see the history, the technology, and the possibilities of the built world all around them. You know, it's really powerful and exciting to be here in a national landmark, you know, telling a national story about the built environment. What is something that most people would be surprised to find out about the National Building Museum? Well, its history is Amazing. Um, it was built in the 1880s as the home for the Pension Bureau, almost called the Pension Building. The Pension Bureau was the uh, first federal agency to serve veterans nationwide, and it operated at the building for 40 plus years. But 
something surprising perhaps there is that it was also built intentionally to host large-scale events. I mean, while under construction, the federal government realized the need for big space for official government events. And hence, starting with Grover Cleveland, we have hosted nearly every inaugural ball since then. And the Building Museum, you know, boasts a reputation for being the best event space in the district. But it's cool to, to know that that intentionality is part of the building's identity and purpose. Hmm. When you walk in, and this is one of the things I love about my job, no matter how old you are, every person walks in and jaw just drops on the floor. We have, when it was built, the largest interior printing columns in the world. It's just stunning and astounding and it gives you this remarkable sense of awe and place from the second you walk in the door. Amazing. When you yourself have seen or been in or experienced the Capitol, what's your personal experience of that particular building? I think it's, it's so iconic. When you see the Capitol on the horizon as you're walking or, or driving, you see this building that embodies so, you know, the building takes on the life and the projections and the thoughts of people around them and how you see your country, your role in your country, your role in that democracy. It's just, it's the power of a building, the power of public space. It's such a dialogue. Like you think of a building as sort of this ecstatic thing, but it's not. It embodies so much about who you are and where you see your place in the world and what you think that embodies about you. So it's such a, it's a really like palpable energy. And I, to put it in a really technical term, I just geek out. I, I love it. <laughs> I, you know, I, I still sort of pinch myself sometimes leaving work and seeing that the capital, the exposure to that is, is part of my daily life now. I think it's a reminder of what, if you're drawn to sort of civic duty in your place of what's my role in, the, in this country and as a citizen, it's a real visceral visual reminder of that for me. It almost sounds to me like you're saying in a way that some buildings or buildings have souls. What I love is, I love these kind of adaptive reuse projects. I spent my whole career working on big historic landscapes from working at the Brooklyn Navy Yard to through all that, all the way to here. And these incredible buildings that had one purpose can be reimagined for another, but you can still feel like the soul and the bones of, of what's in them. And it's, you know, it's probably not a coincidence that in my last three roles, there were places that we did go haunted tours, ghost stories, you know, and that, what that really gets at is a sense of living history, that there's something about the sense of how people experienced these buildings in the past is still, you're still walking in those shoes in a way. And I, I mean, that's really the power of great design, I think. I'm so inspired by one of the museum's exhibits that I had read about called Play, Work, Build, which is aimed at kids. Tell us about that. Sure, yeah. I mean, kids love to build, right? I mean, how can the building museum not have a space for children to build? You know, one of our core pillars here is wonder. We think that experiential learning begins with wonder and inspiration, that the intersection of imagination and creativity and discovery and playfulness. But it goes even beyond that for us. You know, a, a great museum experience can transform the way you look at something in the world or the way you imagine your place in the world. And, and as the Building Museum, we have an incredible opportunity to expose even the youngest kids to great design and buildings and, and, and spark their curiosity about the why. Why are things built the way they are? And that interest can be transformational for a child. It can be empowering. It can inspire a career aspiration. So it's an incredible entry point for us. And as a museum, 
one of the things I love to hear all the time from, I hear from professionals all the time, oh, my family and my firm, we cherish the National Building Museum, meaning we're a place that families come and love and learn together, and you still then have continuing, you know, professional conversations and discussions. So it's really amazing. And it's really fun. You know, you get to come in here and, and, and get, you know, build crazy designs. I have six-year-old twins who I'm, we're building all the time. You know, it's foundational learning. Let's return to The Capital Speaks. Then, January 6th, 2021. I have found that nothing has helped me more to process the anger I felt since that day than to sit down and express myself through writing. The artist Cleo has expressed the same when preparing the art for this passage, which she also inspired. I remember the barrage of shocking images and the chilling reports emanating from my iPad, including these words, the Capitol has been breached. This pattern continued through the day as we watched and prayed for the lives of the congressmen and women and senators, their staffs, the members of the Capitol Police, and other law enforcement tasked with quelling this uprising. Like them all, enduring and returning to continue the work of the nation, we felt we must stand up with them. At first, I didn't want to be okay with my anger. I wanted to fan the flame and keep it strong. But I soon realized that feeding it, allowing it fester, would ultimately accomplish nothing. Instead, I watched interviews with social workers. I read articles by psychologists. I reflected on how we got to this point. And I wrote, I have now dedicated myself to learning ways to bring our country men and women, many of whom may be loved ones, back from the brink. But we must, all of us, put in the work. I, for one, am committed. I'm also sad. We live in D.C., only five miles from the Capitol, and have not gone downtown or to the mall, let alone the Capitol, since March due to the pandemic. This will be the first inauguration we will miss seeing in person since 1989. We've always watched the swearing-in from the Capitol and been on the parade route. But this week, even if COVID-19 was not a factor, we would not go. We have always felt safe in D.C. That is not the case anymore. At least not today. In trying to find the words for this moment in history, I continue to reflect on our beautiful Capitol building itself. Then, it spoke to me. And now, to you. In a deep basso voice, friendly and warm, the Capitol addresses the children first. Hello, my young friends. Please don't be frightened by the people who rushed into my halls last week. It was just a grown-up temper tantrum. I have seen and heard plenty of people, even grown-ups, get angry and yell, and I bet you have too. Now, while all people should make their voices heard, these grown-ups were loud and interrupted our leaders in Congress who were working inside my chambers. These grown-ups didn't use their words. They just yelled and pushed through my front doors, broke my windows, and made a mess in my halls. They even caused other people to be hurt. Remember, children, violence is never the answer. But I was not afraid. 
and you should not be afraid either. We have lots of good helpers who will keep me and you safe from harm. Then the capital speaks directly to the young adults and grown-up adults. You have watched what happened as it was happening, and so you know that this was no game. You may not know, however, the thoughts shuddering through my hallowed walls. How could you breach my walls, which have held so strong since the British army almost burned me down in the War of 1812? How could you trample my grounds where George Washington himself laid my cornerstone? How could you desecrate my halls where so many other patriots have toiled for us since 1800? How could you defile the rotunda and deface Statuary Hall, the original chamber where Congress assembled? How could you endanger the dome fresco when it celebrates Washington giving up power and giving it to the people? How could you defile the statues and paintings that have watched over us for over two centuries? How could you jeopardize both my greatest treasure, John Trumbull's painting, The Declaration of Independence, and one of our truest symbols of the American conscience, the bronze bust of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.? How could you tarnish the legacy of the great American leaders whose noble spirits are still present? Tell me, how? But friends, as bad as the 6th of January was, it could have been so much worse. Most of the physical damage was done to my windows and doors and not to the true treasures I hold the men and women who represent us, and those who work here to protect and preserve the ideals we all profess. So, let us be vigilant. Let us continue our struggle to bend the arc of history towards justice. But let us never forget the events of this day, the lessons learned and warnings heeded. Let us never forget the day's heroes and those who fell. And let us never forget the American values and democratic ideals I symbolize, that withstood the challenges of that day, and that will withstand any challenge we face as one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That was The Capital Speaks, written by George S. Corey. And now, let's meet our Social Contract podcast co-creator. George, I'm so pleased to welcome you to your podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Our podcast. Welcome. I want to start with how much I love when The Capital speaks to the children. And Stephen is amazing. He's just so, so good. I want to share on this podcast that you're coming out with a children's version of Presidential Conversations called Presidential Conversations for Kids. What can you tell us about it? You'll love reading it. I think you'll love listening to it, too. It's about two cool kids. Georgie, who maybe is the uh, cool version that I always wanted to be, the Joe Cool kid that (laughs) uh, I really never was. And then his best friend, Gigi. They're uh, about 10 years old. 
They are skateboard kids. They are tough. They go to a skate park and they take off of a trick ramp. And when they come down, they land where Washington is crossing the Delaware and they have to talk their way onto the boat and they help him get across the Delaware. And then they go from adventure to adventure. It's a skateboard time travel adventure. The kids go back and they're able to interact with the presidents in their time and help the presidents and the presidents help them. They work together to get through an issue. For example, they go back to Gettysburg and they're like, you haven't even gotten the Gettysburg address ready. And he's like, I'm trying to do it. (laughs) And so they hand him a real pen that was created, by the way, by the Cross Company in Rhode Island just before the Gettysburg address. Mm -hmm. And then they go through it line by line. But it's a really great example of how the kids work with the former president and they create something together. So it's fun. Uh, We call it PC4K. I want to go back to talking a little bit about the artwork because Cleo's art in presidential conversations is so cool. And I assume that she'll also be contributing to the presidential conversations for kids. Yes. What's what's in store for that? She has done a whole series of uh, presidential silhouettes on skateboards. Uh, (laughs) Inspired. The presidents are inspired by the skateboards kids. Yes. And it's political art. It's heart art. It's revolutionary art. The artwork for the Capitol is stunning and beautiful. And some of it makes you feel sad and makes you feel the impact of what happened and others make you feel the strength of how it was protected. So this was a real collaboration of the artwork with the text following. Amazing. Um, Yeah, it's very meaningful. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to talk with her. I know that she and I are scheduled to have a conversation for our next Valentine-themed episode, and she'll tell me more about that heart art gallery. Exactly. Um, With the the music video, which is very cool. (laughs) And, you know, this was a little bit of a heavier episode for sure. There is sadness in the events around the Capitol Speaks, but we're going to be having a lot of fun with these stories. Episode two that we have coming out has a song that you've alluded to. We can't wait for listeners to hear it. Before I let you go, I want to ask you one more question. Please. About the title, The Social Contract. How did you and Cleo come up with that podcast name? The theme of presidential conversations is the social contract. In the end, we have rules of a civilized society. And in the U.S., those rules include democracy and representation. And the people who don't follow that have to be exposed. And so that's what the social contract is about. It, it, it's not about what's written in the Constitution or written on any other piece of paper. It's what we all agree to live together, how we agree to live together in a civilized society. Mm. And that matters. That matters not just in our government, but it trickles down to even how we deal with each other as we're driving or leaving the mm-hmm. church parking lot or how people are treating nurses and doctors at uh, hospitals and everything else. It's its mm-hmm. all connected. So I think we all need to remember that we all agree to live together civilly. And that's what that book was about. This was very important. This was very important to put the idea of maintaining our civil society in writing and sharing it with people. So I hope this is what this podcast will do. The podcast is very exciting to me because it will um, give people 
a different way to talk about the social contract to understand that's what we're really about is maintaining our civil society so that we can all live our best and most dignified life. That's what this chance is for me. So thank you. Well, and I believe in the social contract and I believe that it is deeply important that we all assess our own participation in and upholding of the social contract in America. So I'm really, really proud to be a part of this. Very excited to keep hearing these stories, bringing them to listeners. And uh, I think we'll have a great year together. We're reaching the end of our first episode. But before I say goodbye for now, I want to share a closing quote, as I'll do each episode. Today's quote is drawn from President Biden's words earlier this winter, when he marked the one-year anniversary of January 6th. Over that door leading into the rotunda is a sculpture depicting Cleo, the muse of history. In her hands, an open book in which she records the events taking place in this chamber below. Cleo stood watch over this hall one year ago today, as she has for more than 200 years. She recorded what took place, the real history, the real facts, the real truth. The way forward is to recognize the truth and to live by it. I hope, like me, you're already looking forward to episode two, which comes out on February 28th. We always release on the last Monday of the month. Keeping the Faith is the story we'll hear in that episode. And as I mentioned, Keeping the Faith is Valentine's Day themed. And Valentine's Day happens to be my absolutely most favorite holiday, so this episode was made for me. I want to thank Eileen Fuchs from the National Building Museum, the uber-talented Stephen DeRosa, and of course, George S. Corey and Cleo. If you enjoyed this podcast, it's a safe bet you'll really enjoy George's book, Presidential Conversations, available at Amazon, Audible, Apple, Barnes & Noble. You get the picture. You can learn more about George S. Corey at georgescorey.com and check out the Clio Capital Project and a ton more of her work at theartistcleo.com. If you take a look at our episode transcript, you can also enjoy some of Clio's creations there. And if you can, plan a visit to the National Building Museum in Washington, D.C., or you can visit virtually at nbm.org. Finally, I want to thank our first listeners. We're really glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow the Social Contract Podcast, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We hope this will become one of them. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you'd rate and review us. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast. This has been the Social Contract Podcast, created by George S. Corey and Cleo. Produced and hosted by Tavia Gilbert. Associate producer, Katie Flood. Music courtesy of Listen Audio, Mix and Master by Kayla Elrod. This has been a podcast from Listen Audio in association with TalkBox Productions. <laughs>